0: All right, so now we're going to go to the book of Joel for the preaching of God's word this morning. So we're in week two of our sermon series through the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament. So we're in the book of Joel. I failed to look up the Pew Bible page number, but go to the Old Testament, about the middle of your Bible, and go write just a bit, and you'll find Joel. It's a three-chapter um, book that we'll be looking at, a message from God through the prophet Joel. And it's interesting having this in contrast to Hosea last week. Um, We don't have a lot of particulars um, in Joel that say who Joel was, when Joel lived. Um, But what we do see is um, even tying to what we've heard read, what we've considered and what we've sung, we see talk of God's judgment, talk of God's calls for us to repent and turn to him for salvation, and calls for us to trust that he will exhibit his divine justice on the nations at the end of days, and then a promise for blessing as well. So we're going to see all of these things in the book of Joel, and I considered reading in full all three chapters of Joel, and I timed it out, and. I I'm not going to do that this morning, but I'm gonna read select passages from each section to give us a flavor of how this prophet flows. Um, it's a beautiful writing, so I would, can, I would ask that you take time to read it this week. Um, it's very poetic. Um, there's a lot of word pictures in it, especially for kids. Some of them are scary, apocalyptic, um, talking about judgment and the armies um, of the Lord, but we, we're gonna take time to read on part of this to help us get a feel of what the message of Joel is before we have the preaching of God's word. So we're gonna start in chapter one at the beginning and then I'll be hopping around in different spots but letting you know where we're going so you can follow along. So Joel chapter one, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, and the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten, and what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, All you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and as fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up and gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God consecrate a fast, call solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before your eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? Down to chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return with me, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will turn or relent, and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Down to verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens, and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. From in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the for- fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. On behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. Verse 17, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never pass again through it, and in that day the mountain shall drip, sweet with, shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged for the Lord dwells and Zion. These are the words of the Lord. Let us pray and ask him to give us wisdom and understanding to apply them to our lives today. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your words of warning and your words of comfort and your words that call us to yourself. God, I ask now that you would help me to speak words that are true and helpful. Help me to rightly divide your word and apply it to our lives today. Oh Lord, you are powerful and mighty and holy and sin cannot stand before you. So help us to feel the weight of that. Help us to feel our need of a savior work that we cannot do ourselves help us to be brokenhearted over our sin and help us to trust in you as you call us to call on you for our salvation help us to see jesus as the mighty savior he is and for ways that we might be experiencing destruction and devastation around us we pray that you would help us to trust you Trust that you are good, trust that you are kind, trust that you are merciful, and trust that one day justice will be given out righteously and finally from you. So God, would you help us to see what is right in your word through the prophet Joel? And would you help us to be in awe of you and to turn to you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna do every week kind of this whole overview of singular prophets. I think we could probably spend probably eight or nine weeks alone here in the prophet Joel. Um, So there's probably going to be a lot of things that maybe you wish we talked about more than we're able to in one sermon. I'd love to interact with you on the backside of this sermon either right afterwards or to set up a time to talk um, because I know through all prophetic books, um, different people have different questions of what does this mean? Did this already happen? Is this happening right now? Is this a sign um, that these are the last days? So we're not going to address a lot of that. Our, our main purpose is as we give these overviews um, is to kind of whet your appetite to go deeper into studying God's word throughout the summer and throughout our lives. And to also see how... Does this book point us to Jesus Christ, our ultimate redeemer, the one who saves? So that's kind of setting up what we're trying to do is give an overview of this book. What's in here? What is the prophet Joel saying? And then how does it point us to Jesus? So we're gonna, we're gonna look at, at some things together and um, there's gonna be a lot of slides, but we're gonna go through them quickly. So the first question together we're gonna answer in kids. I, I hope that you'll be holding on here. I have a lot of things for you in here, so pay close attention, okay? So who is Joel? Who is Joel? He is, is he this guy? No, that's Joel, right? So that's Joel Embiid. If you're not a basketball person, he's a 76, or he's really tall, he won the MVP this year. That's not who we're talking about this morning. We are talking about Joel, and it says in the first verse who Joel is Joel the son of Pethuel. Joel the son of Pethuel. Who is Pethuel? We don't know. This is the only time he's referenced in the Bible, so that's really the only descriptor, descriptor we get of the prophet Joel. There's a lot of cross-references of words that are here in the book of Joel and different prophets and even pulling through to the New Testament at the day of Pentecost. We'll get to that in a little bit as the Spirit is poured out. But we don't know much about the man Joel. So who is Joel? All we know is he is the son of Pethuel. Where is Joel? Where is Joel? Judah, probably located in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of talk about the temple and um, sacrifice and worship. So we know that he is a prophet in the southern kingdom. Chris did a great job last week of having the little graph of the northern kingdom, Israel and the southern kingdom, Judah and all the kings. But we don't have any of that information which leads us to when is Joel? When is this book written? We don't know. But... Based on some context clues, here's some things that we probably are very certain about. It's almost certainly after what's called the exile. So after God's people have been scattered by different conquering armies, Joel was written. We see in chapter three, verse two, when the Lord says he's going to judge the nations, he says in verse two, I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them and among the nations, scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. This is conquest talk when we see God's people go into exile at different times. It seems to be that this would be written after to God's people after the exile, and potentially alongside the time frame of Ezra, Nehemiah, as the temple is being rebuilt, or it has been rebuilt. So we don't have a lot of clues other than what we have read here. So who is Joel, son of Pethuel. What is Joel is next. It's a prophetic message that calls God's people to repent. What is Joel? The book of Joel is a prophetic message that calls God's people to repent. We're gonna dig into this. a lot in the coming minutes. So kids, if you see this and you're like, my kids like to take like very detailed notes, um, these will come up again. So as Mr. Jeff like advances through these, these ideas are gonna come up again. So it's a message that calls God's people to repent. It's a message that communicates God's mercy and love for his people. And it's a message that concludes with the promise of blessing and the judgment Of the nations. A prophetic message that calls God's people to repent, communicates God's mercy and love for his people, and concludes with the promise of blessing and the judgment of the nations. So that's the who, that's the when, that's the what. Now I kind of feel like the the Avengers here Why is Joel? Drax the Destroyer. Why is Gamora? Why is Joel? Why is Joel written? In the midst of disaster and threat of destruction, God's people are to turn from their sin and call out to him for salvation. So we're not gonna have the words big idea up there, but kids, if you like to write the big idea, this is where you get it. In the midst of disaster and threat of destruction, God's people are to turn from their sin and call out to him for salvation. So what's the disaster that we read about in the first chapter? Kids, this is where I'm going to see if you paid attention to what we read. So feel free to call out. We're going to make this more like the six to nine class than regular sermon time. What is the first disaster we see in chapter one that we read? What was happening? You can be a little older than nine if you want. Daniel. The locust. Very good. Five points. Maybe a chocolate bar. He was telling me that he was sad six to nine didn't happen because Mr. Woody gives out chocolate bars. I said, well, maybe we can do something. So yes, the disaster we see in this prophecy from Joel is something that seemingly is real that happened to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah. That all of their crops are destroyed. And we see that God is the one who is in control of all of the circumstances of the people of Israel. That this disaster that affects their livelihoods, that affects the food they eat, that affects how they worship, that even affects how they sin. We see that there's a call to the drunkard to turn and weep because there's no more wine. We see there's destruction here in the book of Joel. And then even the threat of destruction by the day of the Lord coming to God's people. The day of the Lord here is used twice in the book of Joel, both to talk about judgment for God's people, coming if they do not repent, and then judgment for the nations, a final judgment that God will not relent from, that will be coming down from our holy God at the end of days, so there is They're in the midst of disaster. There's a threat of their utter destruction and God calls them to repent, return from their sin and to cry out to him for salvation. So why is Joel written? It's to have God's people while they're in the midst of disaster and the threat of destruction to call out to him and turn from their sin. So we're gonna look first and dig a little deeper at the call to repent so the, remembering what is joel the prophetic message that calls god's people to repent this call to repent looks like in chapter 1 verses 13 to 14 putting on sackcloth lamenting fasting and crying out to god look at verse 13 it says put on sackcloth and lament o priests Wail, O ministers of the altar, go in pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So there's some words here on the screen and what I just read that might not be words, especially kids, we'll say the kids, maybe some adults don't know it either, but we'll say the kids. Do we know what sackcloth is? It's not a word we use today a lot, or really at all. Do we know what sackcloth is? It is basically really, really plain clothes that don't cover much, almost like a cloth diaper like stripping you down so that you are very bare and saying, I have nothing to the Lord. Do we know what lament is? Emma. A cry, very good. A lament is a cry out to God for help. It's a plea to God for help. Do we know what fast is? Not like this. I'm not so fast anymore. I used to be fast. Or at least people used to tell me. Jack. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah, not eating or drinking for a period of time. And we see this in the Bible as a tool or a discipline that God uses for his people to withhold from themselves and to really dive deep in their relationship with God. Some people will fast from different things, especially during the Lent season, the days leading up to Easter. or as a Christian discipline to help us to remember that our ultimate need is God. Anything that is taking away our ultimate longing from God, we withdraw ourselves from that for a time. And then we see the words cry out to God. And I think you know what that means. In in chapter 2, verse 12, the prophet reiterates and calls to the people again says to fast and to weep and mourn. Let's look at verse 12 real quick. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, so with not eating and drinking, with weeping and with mourning. So weeping, I think, kids, you know what that is? That's like crying, deeply crying. Mourning. Does somebody know what mourn means that's like nine or under? What does it mean to mourn? Is that what you said, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like another word for weeping, but it's this deep feeling of sadness that you're mourning, you're expressing your deep sadness. So these things are like items that we're called to do, actions we're supposed to have. Let's look at those again. So we put on sackcloth, we lament or cry out to God, we fast or withdraw taking things into our body. We cry out to God, we weep, we mourn. These are all outward things that God is calling his people to do. And they're important and they, they affect us. But the ultimate thing that God wants is for our hearts to be broken over our sin. The call to repent includes a call for our hearts to be broken over our sin. Where do we see that? We see that in verse 13. He says it this way, to rend your hearts. Let's look at it. I'll start in verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So again, a word that we don't use a lot is rend, R-E-N-D, it's up there on the screen. He's saying, don't tear or break your garments. Have your hearts broken or torn because of your sins against me. This call to repent is a sadness over our sin that causes us to take a different action. So the prophet Joel, is a prophetic message that calls God's people to repent because of their sin. Unlike a lot of the other prophets, Joel isn't speaking directly against particular sins that doesn't appear. We saw last week in Hosea how there was unfaithfulness by God's people by worshiping idols and integrating other religions into their worship of God. And these pictures of what that looked like in this prophetic display that Chris talked about of of who Hosea was to marry. But here we don't have a lot of particulars about what sins Israel or Judah has committed. But we do know that the devastation that they are experiencing has been brought upon them because of their sin that even further destruction and devastation the day of the lord as it says in chapter 2 is about to come upon them unless the lord relents the first part of chapter 2 up to verse 12 is an even grimmer picture than our opening chapter 1. chapter 1 talks about how devastating the attack of the locust were the swarm that comes over the fields and eats everything And then the next swarm comes in and they eat the little bits that's left. And the next swarm comes in and they eat what is left after the little bits. In chapter 2, we see the day of the Lord described as fire coming down. As armies coming down and destroying. And the people facing anguish and being so scared that their faces turn white as a ghost or pale. Like warriors, they, are char- they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swear from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. The people cannot do anything to stop the day of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord from coming upon them. They can have all of the weapons. They can have the best plan, but they cannot stop what is coming, and that comes down to what we're talking about in repenting. God calls them to repent. He doesn't call them to take up arms. He calls them to be broken over their sin and to cry out for God's mercy. The prophetic message of Joel is a call for God's people to repent. It's also communicating God's love and mercy for his people. Joel is a prophetic message that communicates God's love and mercy. We see in chapter 2, verse 13, that God is gracious and merciful. We'll read it again. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. These are words that are said a lot in church, grace and mercy, or gracious and merciful. So for kids especially, grace is something that we get that we don't deserve, A positive things. One way that a lot of people like to make it an acronym as Christians is that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That means that we get good stuff because of Jesus that we get the blessing of God because of what Christ has done. We're shown grace and mercy. We don't get the punishment we deserve because Jesus received the punishment we deserved. So as Christians, that's what we mean when we say the words grace and mercy. Sometimes that's hard to understand when we're thinking the Bible and big, big picture things. So let me help you with some, maybe this has happened to you, maybe not. So let's say that you broke your sister's toy that you weren't supposed to be playing with and then your parents find out. What usually happens? You get a punishment. Want to end that soon before I got anything yelled out that shouldn't be. So when we do something we're not supposed to do in our house as children, we get a punishment from our parents. But sometimes there is mercy shown. Sometimes we have standards in our houses of, if you do X, you can expect Y to happen. So let's say a common thing is yelling at your sibling. Maybe a parent would create a rule, if you do X, yell at your sibling, then you have to go sit in this place for five minutes. Sometimes your parents will show mercy, not by excusing it and saying you don't have to do it just because I don't feel like it. That's not awesome parenting. Sometimes that parenting helps just because we want kids to go but sometimes our parents' hearts are moved in compassion and understanding and love for our children, and we don't give you the punishment you deserve. That is a very imperfect picture because that's not at all how God's mercy is exhibited, but that's the result. God's mercy is truly shown to us in that Christ was punished for us. So an actual picture would look like you yell at your sister, you've sinned against her, and she's the one who takes the punishment voluntarily on your behalf. I know that probably doesn't happen a lot, but if your parents would say yes, I will punish your sister instead of you, that's what God's mercy looks like. Somebody taking something on your behalf. So God's mercy is not getting what you deserve, and it, On this side of the cross, we see that God's mercy is shown to us who believe because of what Jesus has done. So how do we see Joel's prophecy talking about grace and mercy? We see it because they have turned from their sin that they indeed have repented and that it's in God's character to be gracious and merciful towards his people even when they are unfaithful and don't follow him. Joel also communicates God's great God's love and mercy by describing him as having a steadfast love for his people. He is abounding and steadfast love. Romans five verses six through nine says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The ultimate picture of God's steadfast love and him abounding in it for his people is seen in Jesus and that while we were still sinners, not when we became perfect, not when we got it together, that he extended his love and mercy towards us in Christ. And then finally, in the prophet Joel, we see in this particular instance that God shows pity and restores his people. Again, this ties forward to us in looking at our salvation and God's showing his grace and mercy towards us in Christ and having our relationship restored to him And in verses 18 through 27, this is the picture of God showing pity and restoring his people. Instead of pouring out his judgment upon them, he relents. And he remembers his people and he pours out blessings upon them. Let's look at verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the Eastern Sea, so that's like his army, and his rearguard into the Western Sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit and the fig tree and the vine give their full year yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. That's where they make all of the things out of the wheat that they get from the fields. The vats or big jars shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Again, we see that the Lord is the one who sent the early devastation to draw his people back to himself. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am, the, am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. My people shall never again be put to shame. God has shown pity on his people and he restores to them all that they once had. If we look at verses 21 through 25, it's kind of this reverse of what we opened up in chapter 1. So at the beginning, again, we had devastation from what kids? What came? The locusts. They ate everything. They ate the wheat. They ate the olives that the oil was made from. They ate the grapes that the wine was made from. There was nothing left, which then led the animals to starve, which then led the people also to starve and not to be able to offer up their offerings to the Lord in the temple. But God, in his mercy and his grace, shows pity on them and restores all that they once had and even brings it in more abundance than they once experienced. It's this poem that Joel has written that shows the reversal of what we see in the opening of chapter 1. The God shows his grace and his mercy and his love, he has pity on them, and he restores his people. And they know that he is their God and they are his people. So, Joel is a prophecy that communicates God's love and his mercy for his people. And then finally, we see that Joel is a prophecy that concludes with blessing and judgment. The book of Joel concludes with blessing and judgment. Let's first look at some blessing that the prophet Joel talks about, not just the restoration, but a future blessing that we see referenced in the New Testament. The blessing looks like God pouring out his spirit. Let's look at verse 28 of chapter 2 and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. As we read the book of Joel and even think about maybe our own circumstances, a lot of times when we cry out to God, we want everything just to be okay and just to be comfortable. At the beginning of the book of Joel, God's people are very uncomfortable with the locusts destroying everything. Their whole lives are disrupted. And he does restore those things, but ultimately our biggest blessing is that we, God's people, Yet God himself is a gift. That this promise of the Lord pouring out his spirit is the greatest thing that we can have as a result of being in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself let his disciples know before he left the earth that indeed the Holy Spirit was going to come. Luke chapter 11 verse 13 We see that Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A remembrance of this promise that we see in Joel chapter 2. John chapter 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit is with God's people. It's within us, those who believe in Christ. And we see ultimately that this promise is fulfilled in the book of Acts in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, talking about the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 reads, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. God's blessing upon his people in the future would look like him pouring out his spirit upon them to comfort them, to help them, and to help them go forward on the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes back. This promise of blessing has happened. It has come true. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, it has come true for us. Romans chapter eight, verses 10 And 11 reads, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Those who are in Christ Jesus have the spirit within them. This prophecy of a day when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh to young men and women, to old men, to male and females, to everyone. It was not just withheld for priests or those who seem important, but all who are in Christ get the blessing of this Holy Spirit that was promised through the prophet Joel by Jesus himself and delivered at the day of Pentecost. The book of Joel is a prophecy that points us to this pouring out of God's spirit. It also points us to the fact that God is a saving God. God saves. These words are echoed all throughout scripture. Let's look at verses 32 and 33 of chapter two. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. God is the one who calls us out of our sin and into salvation that is found in Christ. Acts 16.31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10.13, For everyone who calls, On the name of the Lord, meaning Jesus, will be saved. How does Joel, the prophet, and the fact that God is a saving God point us to Jesus? It points us to the fact that Jesus is the one in whom salvation is found. What does calling out on the name of the Lord look like? It looks like calling on the name of Jesus. So if you're here today and are wondering what repentance is, what calling out to God looks like, why we need to do it, it's because we have all fallen short of the standards God has called us to, that we have all sinned, and because of that we deserve death or destruction as we see communicated even here in this book but God, by his grace and his mercy, sent Jesus Christ, his only Son. The Father sent the Son to live the life that we were supposed to live, perfectly obeying God and all that he has commanded. That Jesus, in doing that, also laid down his life for us, dying the death we deserve to die. But he didn't stay dead, he rose again on the third day and that all who believe in him shall not perish, but would have eternal life. Blessing from God looks like receiving the gift of salvation. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have not called out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and turned from your sin with a broken heart, I would encourage you, consider doing that today. God's biggest blessing is his salvation that is found in Christ alone. The message of Joel also ends with God delivering justice. He pours out his spirit. We see that come true in Acts chapter two. He saves anyone who calls upon him to save them, but he also delivers justice. This is a big chunk of chapter three. i I'm Gonna read quite a bit of it. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there. And on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the region of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken." If you are with us for our whole gathering this morning, right after our first song, we heard Psalm 28 read, where David is crying out to God for him to punish the wicked, those that have hurt him. It's called an imprecatory psalm. Like Jimmy said, it's not something that we actively do a lot today, that we are calling down God's wrath upon those that we deem enemies but all who do not turn and bow to King Jesus will be under God's judgment at the last day. That not only those who go against God's people but everyone who has gone against God himself will receive divine judgment. They'll be destroyed and receive what they are due This should sober us when we think about who we are and who God is, but we remember as his people that he has shown us his grace and his mercy in Jesus Christ. But one day, ultimate, final, divine justice indeed will be passed down on those who are outside of Christ. The message of Joel shows this very clearly And the rest of the Bible does as well, as we see at the end in the book of Revelation that Jesus himself will defeat Satan and the enemies of this earth. He will crush them. They will be no more. Justice will be passed down for the unjust. And then finally, we see a last blessing on the other side of justice and even in the midst midst of justice being dished out by our holy God, we see that God will dwell with his people forever. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it, and in that day the mountain shall drip. Sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a mountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. And in verse 20, but Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. This picture of God dwelling in Zion is a picture of the future day when we will be with God forever. It's the thing that we hold on to when death and destruction happen to us now. The ultimate hope that all will be made right. That we will experience God's blessing Not only materially, we'll have plenty to eat and to drink and to be glad with, but we will experience his presence forever. So what now? What do we do with Joel? We remember the why of Joel. So going from this place, what should we do with the message of Joel? We need to remember that in the midst of disaster and threat of destruction, God's people are to turn from their sin and call out to him for salvation. I don't know all of the devastation or disaster that might be taking place in your life right now. I know some, whether it's sickness or brokenness in family, whether it's jobs that are potentially being taken away We sung about it earlier, even these waves of destruction draw us near to Christ. They bring us to the shore where he is found. So if life is uncertain right now, or life is certainly terrible right now, we are to turn from our sin and turn to the Lord for his help. What does that look like? It looks like finding our true happiness in God himself and not in our circumstances. We might not know what tomorrow brings or we know it will certainly bring trouble, but if we have the Lord, we will be okay. Doesn't mean our circumstances will necessarily change overnight, but we need to cry out to God for help and to turn from our sin if you are actively living against the Lord right now, I trust that he may be working in your heart to have you brokenhearted over it, that you might repent of your sin and turn to him for salvation. We need to know that God is near to his people. And ultimately, that we will be with him forever, experiencing his blessing. So Joel is for us today, whether we are in Christ or need to call out to him for salvation. And I trust that as we go from this place, we can look to him and he will surely answer our cries for help. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the love and grace and mercy you have shown to us in Christ. We ask that you would help us to trust in you alone, to cry out to you to be our helper. We thank you for your patience and long-suffering with us. But Lord, as we experience the effects of sin in our day, we cry for you to come back that we might experience your presence forever, your blessing, your nearness. We ask that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are grateful that you have poured out your spirit upon us. We are grateful that you have sent Jesus to rescue us. So God, as we go from this place, we ask that you would help us to be broken over our sin, to turn from it, and to cry out to you, even when it's hard. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.